If you have your Bibles with you once again, I invite you to turn with me to the Old Testament book of Psalms, about halfway in your Bible, to the first Psalm, Psalm 1. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 568. This morning, we're going to begin a new sermon series in the Psalms, and we're going to spend the summer in the Psalms. Uh, If you did not see when you came in the room this morning at the back lobby and down here to the front to my right, there are scriptural journal books uh, for the book of Psalms. And if you didn't get one of those and you want one before the sermon starts, you can get up quickly and get it if you'd like. It's okay. I won't be offended by that. You're welcome. Any other takers? Yes, please feel free to do that. Okay, Psalm 1. I love the Psalms. For the last few years, I have spent much time praying and reading the Psalms. And I think this series will be helpful to us uh, in many different ways. And I hope that you'll see this morning through our study and exposition of Psalm 1, the importance of this psalm in understanding the entire Psalter. There is a reason why this psalm is the first one. And properly understanding it helps you understand the other 149. So Psalm 1, and I'm going to speak for a few minutes this morning on this subject, two ways to live. And this is what the Bible says in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. From the outset, the book of Psalms teaches us that there are two ways to live. Psalm 1 is the entrance to the entire Psalter, contrasting the life of the blessed and the life of the wicked. This Psalm teaches us that we either fear and love God or we don't. It points the way to blessing and it warns of divine judgment. The blessed are those who are in a right relationship with God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. They've made an unswerving commitment to obey God's Word. They love God, they love His Word, they love His ways, and they keep Him at the center of their lives. On the other hand, the wicked reject the Lord. They reject His Word, and they set themselves on a path that is marked by disobedience. They have no regard for God's standards of living and they act and live as if God doesn't even exist. Psalm 1 emphasizes 
the end results of both ways of living because the choices that you and I make today inevitably come to bear on the life we will experience tomorrow as well as the type of life we will experience in eternity. And through a series of contrasts, the psalmist clearly portrays the life of the blessed and the life of the wicked and the destiny of both. The psalmist in this psalm is anticipating what Jesus himself would later teach. That you and I are either on the broad road that leads to destruction, or we are on the narrow road that leads to life. And Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, as he was concluding his Sermon on the Mount. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Psalm 1 is a contrast between Jesus' two statements. This psalm is considered a wisdom psalm, one that provides guidance for godly living. And like a clearly marked entrance sign, it serves as an introduction to the entire book of Psalms, directing every reader and every worshiper to the path of the blessing of God. This psalm is intentionally and strategically placed at the very beginning, and it serves as a window to understand the other 149 psalms. And while this psalm contrasts the blessed and the wicked, you and I will examine it this morning from the blessed, noting four truths regarding the life of the blessed. In verses 1 and 2, I want you to see this morning the direction of the blessed life. The psalmist begins, blessed is the man. The very first word of the very first psalm reveals what God desires for his people. Blessing. This psalm begins with an emphatic declaration that God's abundant favor will rest upon the person who lives a truly God-centered life. The word blessed in the original language is repeated. This is the Hebrew method of indicating the plural which intensifies the meaning. It means an overflowing joy and full contentment in God. It describes a person who is fully satisfied and fully happy in the Lord. You could translate it this way. Oh, how very happy is the man or the woman. Or, oh, the happiness of the man or the woman. This word blessed also implies a sense of remarkable well-being that would be enviously desired by others. You could translate it to say, they're envied with desire is the man who trusts in the Lord. And this promise of blessing is exactly what Jesus announced in his Sermon on the Mount when he preached the Beatitudes. It's a blessing that is not deserved. It is a gift of God. And this blessing is not dependent upon our circumstances, but upon the vitality of our relationship with God. 
This blessedness that the psalmist is describing is soul satisfaction. It is pleasure that is found in the Lord himself. The psalmist will later say this in Psalm 21 and verse 6. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. Blessed in the presence of God. Or Psalm 34 and verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed, happy is the man who takes refuge in him. This is God's desire for his people that his people would live and experience the blessings and the soul satisfaction that come from him and him alone. Now notice in the text that he describes the direction of a blessed life negatively. In verse 1, he says, Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The blessed life is a life that is lived separated from the world. To understand this psalm is to look through the lens of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was a unique and separate people. They were living among the other nations, but they were not to be contaminated by the other nations. And what was true of the nation of Israel is true of the people of God today. The Bible teaches that you and I are to be in the world, but we are not to be of the world. As a result, we must remember that friendship with the world is becoming an enemy with God and even loving the world if we're not careful. And when we become friends with the world and we love the world, it's not long before we'll conform to the world. And if we don't repent, we'll be condemned with the unbelieving world. And this is the warning of Psalm 1, that God wants us to experience his blessings in the direction of our life. But those who experience in the blessings of God must not walk with the world. Now notice carefully the text. Verse 1 is packed full of truth. And I can't give it all to you this morning or we'll never get past verse number 1. But there are three sets of triplets in verse 1 alone. I'll point them out to you. Walks, stands, and sits. That's set 1. Set 2. Counsel, way, seat. That's set 2. Set 3. Wicked, sinners, scoffers. And you'll notice the verbs in verse 1 present a progression of developing decadence into deeper strongholds of sin. And because these verbs are in the perfect tense in the language, it means that this is describing a settled way of life. That if you walk in the counsel of the wicked, it won't be long before you stand in the way of sinners and if you stand in the way of sinners, it won't be long before you sit in the seat of scoffers. And then it becomes a settled way of living your life. And so the psalmist at the outset describes the blessed life negatively by what the man or woman of God does not practice. They do not walk in ways 
listen, which make it impossible for God to bless and honor their lives. Do not be deceived, friends. If you walk in the course that Psalm 1 is describing, you will forfeit the blessings of God. And so there's three paths that the psalmist shows us negatively that God will never bless. He will never bless the counsel of the wicked. This phrase has to do with a way of thinking, with forming plans according to a certain mindset and outlook. It refers to following the advice of people who do not fear God and people who do not love God. And in their counsel and in their advice, they do not consider God or His Word. The direction of the wicked is against God. They elevate themselves and their standards over God, making themselves the center of their own universe. And that's what it means to walk in the counsel of the wicked. When he uses the phrase, stand in the way of sinners, this has to do with the lure of the crowd to participate in their sinful activities and sensual living. It's a tugging on our hearts and our lives to follow the same trajectory of their life. That when we receive their counsel, it won't be long before we'll live by their counsel and we'll stand in the same way in which they stand in their sin. To sit in the seat of scoffers is the climax of verse 1. This has to do with the attitude as well as the actions of sinners who actually turn to scoff and mock God. Literally, to sit in the ancient world was the posture of legal deliberation. A judge would sit in judgment over people. It was also the posture of authoritative teaching. You sat down to teach, just as Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount. And with this language, the psalmist is giving the climax of this negative picture showing a settled position in which these people not only make their own decisions, but they claim authority in the decisions that they make. They not only decide against God's ways and God's word, they eventually mock God's ways. They eventually mock God's words and they eventually mock God. And friends, that is where unrepentant sin will always lead. You will walk in the counsel of the wicked, and if you don't repent, it won't be long before you find yourself standing in the way of sinners. And if you don't repent at that level, it won't be long before you'll find yourself sitting with the scoffers, mocking God and His Word and the things of His kingdom. And so please note this downward spiral. It's a downward spiral of one who is being casually influenced by the wicked to one who eventually ends up scoffing at God and holy things. That's why Paul reminded the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And teenagers and children, if I could remind you of this simple truth, your friends in your life will either make you or break you. They will either lift you up 
or they will tear you down. They will either draw you closer to God or they will draw you further away from God. Always remember this picture in Psalm 1. It reminds me of what someone taught me a long, long time ago. There are no blowouts in the Christian life. There are only slow leaks. You don't wake up one morning and all of a sudden decide to throw your marriage away and all of a sudden decide to throw your life away and your testimony away. You've been leaking spiritually for a long time and you've ignored the leak. And then in that moment, in that day, you blow out and you blow up. It's a slow decline. And this is the negative warning in Psalm 1. It reminds us that turning from worldliness and wickedness isn't a one-time decision. It's a daily decision to walk and follow God. Well, we move from the negative in verse 1 to the positive in verse 2, and aren't you glad? He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The three negative statements of verse 1 are followed by two positive statements in verse number 2. And the word but at the beginning of verse number 2 is the transition between verse 1 and verse 2. And the psalmist is showing us with this transition word that the law of the Lord stands in opposition to the way of sin. It's the difference between being in love with sin and being in love with God and His Word. And that's the contrast between verse 1 and verse 2. The blessed life is a life that is saturated with the Word of God. And you'll notice in verse 2 that the Word of God captures the affection of the godly man or the godly woman. He says that they delight in the law of the Lord. The word delight means to bend towards something. It speaks of your entire body bending and inclining itself toward an object or toward a person. And when it's used of the word of God, it means that you're bending your whole life, the direction of your life, the affections of your life, the authority of your life. You're bending all of that to the word of God. Psalm 40 and verse 8, the psalmist says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Psalm 112 verse 1 Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. You see, friends, delighting in the word of God is not something that we do so that we can get more blessings from God. The delight that the word brings into our lives is the blessing. That as we bend our life and incline our life to God and His Word and His will and His ways, we'll find delight in all of those things. We'll experience the blessings of God because we are delighting in inclining the posture of our life to Him and His authority. God's Word brings us delight because it provides the guardrails and the absolute truths that we need in our life that are absent from the world. God's Word gives us delight because it gives us a meaningful view and purpose of life 
while the world gives us a view of life that is empty and it's filled with cynicism and it's filled with hatred God's word brings us delight because it tells us the truth in a world that is full of lies and deceit and that's why we need to incline ourselves to his word it captures our affections but you also notice in verse 2 that God's word captures our attention we meditate on it day and night and just as you delight in the word by bending over and inclining all of your life and your soul to the word when you meditate on the word you pour the word over your life this word is so interesting and rich now I'll just give you a simple description of it this morning it carries the idea of muttering or murmuring something in an undertone as you're reading it and so you've got Psalm 1 open before you and you're delighting in it because you've inclined your whole heart over it and now you're meditating on it and you're pouring the word of God over your life and you're just reading and murmuring but his delight is in the law of the Lord God, help me to delight in your word. Help me to love your word above everything else. God, help me to meditate on it and pour it over my life and think about it in the morning when I get up and think about it at night when I go to bed. God, help me to be like a tree. Help me to be fruitful. Help me to be productive in my life. You're just murmuring and muttering the word over your life. You're pouring it over you. You're washing yourself with the water of the word. And the language speaks of continual meditating meditation of the word over your life is like digesting food in your stomach the word of God becomes your source of spiritual nourishment and energy and strength when you delight in the word and you meditate on the word it becomes a joy in your life you read the word because you love the word and you hunger for it and you thirst after it you know you need it. The more you hunger and thirst, the more you want to eat. Isn't that true? When there's something good on your plate before you, you hope there's enough for seconds. Right? And when you begin to delight in the Word and you begin to meditate on the Word and you incline yourself to it and pour it over your life, you want more of it. You're not satisfied with it. And by the way, can I just insert this in parentheses? That's how you know you're a Christian. You know you're a Christian because God has put inside of you a hunger for his word. That is a sure evidence that you've been changed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first two verses of Psalm 1 teach us that you and I are going to be influenced by something or someone. And we have to ask ourselves, whose counsel will guide us? What activities will fill our time? With whom will we spend our time? The Psalm 1 man or woman will be influenced by the word of God rather than the counsel of the wicked. And so the first two verses of this psalm require us to ask if we need to change the relationships that are influencing and dominating our lives. 
How can you not read and study verse 1 and 2 and get its meaning and not examine your life and ask yourself, are there relationships and influences in my life that need to change? That's what this psalm demands of us. It asks us if we need to change the structure of our life to make room and more time for God and His Word. It demands that we examine ourselves and ask if we have found ourselves in a place of scoffing because we're trying to be popular and fit in with a certain crowd or a certain group of people. And so we end up scoffing at God and the things of God just to fit in. Verses 1 and 2 challenge us to examine ourselves and see if there are sins that we need to confess in our life as a result of the picture that is displayed before us. Well, we not only see the direction of the blessed life, secondly, in verse number three, we see the description of the blessed life. Look at this picture. It is beautiful. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The psalmist is saying that this description of the blessed life in verse three flows out of and is the result of living out the Word of God in verses 1 and 2. It's a reminder to all of us this morning that when we live for God and for the things of His kingdom, God will sustain our lives. Notice carefully in verse 3, this is a powerful truth that I don't want you to miss. The psalmist tells us that when we live according to verse 1 and 2, we will be something before we do something. And God always wants us to be something before we do something for Him. But too often we get it backwards and we try to do something for God before we ever allow Him to make us something in Him. What will He be like? Well, the man or woman who lives according to verses 1 and 2 will be like a tree. This is a common metaphor in the Bible. The tree enjoys health and vitality because it draws constant nourishment from the water through its roots. And the psalmist is saying in a similar way, the godly refresh and replenish their souls through daily meditation and delight in the word of God. And as they drink in the water of God's word and God's ways, they become like a well-watered tree that yields fruit in its season and the godly find their lives more prosperous and productive because of what God is pouring and making them in their lives and you'll notice in verse 3 he gives characteristics of the blessed life this is so good I just point them out to you briefly when you live this way and you experience the blessings of God you have stability you're planted like a tree the godly man or woman who delights in the Word of God and meditates on it and lives apart from the world has roots that run deep below the surface. They're stable and they're strong. It's a reminder that if you take care of the depth of your life, God will take care of the breadth of your life. That if you remain planted in His Word, you will become stable in your life and He'll take care of the breadth of your life. The second characteristic is vitality. He says that you're planted by streams of water. 
It speaks of an unfailing source of life. It represents the abundant, overflowing supply of strength and grace found in God and His Word. It's a picture of the godly planting deep roots into a reservoir which will never run dry and it will constantly refresh them and revive them and renew them and sustain them and satisfy them as they draw upon it. Deep roots that never run dry. You're vital. You're stable. Number three, you're productive. The text says you yield fruit. And listen, this fruit's not for you. It's for others. That when you draw deep into God and His Word and you become stable in your life and you become vital in your life, God begins to work in your life and then He begins to work through your life and He produces fruit in your life and the fruit becomes a blessing to the people that are around your life. And it all flows from the deep roots. You become productive. You become a blessing to others as God blesses you. Number four, you're durable. Look at what it says. I love this phrase. You do not wither. Oh, some of us need to hear that this morning because some of us came to church today and we felt withered. We felt worn. And when you live according to these verses, you become durable. You remain undaunted in the changing seasons of life. And number five, you're prosperous. All that you do, you prosper. That's why Dale Ralph Davis said, the one who says no to the world and yes to Yahweh's words is the one who is both rooted and lively. And his stability is not monotonous and his vitality is not chaotic. It is the exact opposite of what the world has to offer for living. You're stable. You're vital. You're productive. You're durable. And you're prosperous. This is God's blessings on the life of his people. Did you know that when you study later on in the Psalms, that you come across this picture again in an even greater way? The same picture of Psalm 1. I love these verses. And if you're a senior adult this morning, you should write these verses down, you should underline them, and you should meditate on them this week. They will encourage you. They encourage me. Psalm 92, verses 12 to 15. The righteous flourish like the palm tree, and they grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord, and they flourish in the courts of our God. Now listen, listen to verse 14. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green so that they can declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in Him. And so just think of it. You come to church next week, and the security guy at the door says, Hey, how are you doing this morning? And you're a senior adult, and you look at him, and you say, I'm full of sap and green. I'm fruitful. I'm productive. I'm here to sing the praises of the Lord in the house of the Lord. That's the blessed life. That's a life that is inclining itself to God in His Word. That is pouring the Word of God over His life. It's not just hanging on to the end. It's a life that is 
pursuing the finish line with fruit and growth and joy and praise. That's the life that God blesses. That's the life that he's called us to, even in the midst of all the doctor's appointments. A life that is full of sap and green and fruit in old age. Listen to me, senior adults. Listen to your pastor. My generation needs to see it. The generation behind me needs to see it. They need to see what it looks like to finish the race well with fruit and sap and green. And joy in the God of their salvation to the very end. We incline our life to his word. Boy, I don't know about you. But these first three verses of Psalm 1 challenge me. I read these things. I mean, I've read these verses hundreds of times. I've prayed these verses over and over. And I still read them and reflect on them and think, how can I live that? How can I live that? Maybe that's what you're thinking this morning if you've, as you've listened to me explain them. <laughs> well, I've got news for you this morning. There's only one person who's ever lived Psalm 1, verses 1, 2, and 3 perfectly. It's the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who deserves to inherit the blessings of Psalm 1. Jesus Christ is the blessed man of Psalm 1. He is the only one who has ever perfectly lived this psalm. Jesus was surrounded by the pressures of the world to walk in step with the wicked to stand in the way of sinners and to even sit with the scoffers. And yet Jesus resolutely set his face against their values, their sneering, and their actions. He was sharply mocked and ridiculed, and he felt the pain of that mockery and ridicule in a way you and I will never understand. And yet he delighted to do his Father's will, and he declared his Father's word day and night. Jesus Christ is the fruitful tree of Psalm 1. He's the man upon which the blessings of God the Father rest. He's the one who's lived it perfectly. And Jesus, this Psalm 1 man, the man in whom God the Father was well pleased and on whom God the Father's blessings rest, is also the Savior of sinners. As a result of his death and his burial and his resurrection, Jesus can empower and help everyone who will turn to him for forgiveness of their sins and for salvation to live a life like Psalm 1 describes. You can experience the blessings of God found in Psalm 1 through faith in God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the flourishing tree of Psalm 1 that yields water that leads to eternal life forevermore. And so if you are not a Christian today, I commend you to Christ, the Psalm 1 man. And for those of you who already know Christ as your Savior, the resolve to turn from the pressures of the world on a daily basis and to continue to delight in and meditate upon God's Word can be empowered through your relationship with Christ. You look to Christ as your example to fulfill and live Psalm 1. And when you're pressured from the world to conform and to compromise, the Spirit of Christ that lives within you will enable you and empower you to live these verses and to be different. 
Well, we not only see the direction of the blessed life and the description of the blessed life. In verses 4 and 5, we see the distinction of the blessed life. Now, make sure you look carefully at your Bible. He says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. In verse 4, the psalmist contrasts the godly who are like trees, whose leaf does not wither, to the wicked who are like chaff that the wind drives away. And notice how he describes the contrast. The wicked are not so. You know how it literally translates? Not so the wicked. And it refers back to the first three verses of Psalm 1, describing the godly who are happy many times over, but not so the wicked. The godly who delight and meditate on the law of the Lord, but not so the wicked. The godly who are like a tree that bears fruit in its season, but not so the wicked. Everything that the psalmist described in these previous verses is not true of the wicked. The wicked are like dry and useless chaff. Instead of being planted by the streams of water, they are driven like chaff by the wind. And the picture that he describes in verse 4 is that of a threshing floor at the time of grain harvest in Palestine. They would set those threshing floors high up on a hill where it was level and where the wind was strong blowing across that hillside. And they would gather all of the grain and they would take animals and tools and drag the tools with the animals over the grain and crush it. And then they would throw all of that grain up in the air with winnowing forks and shovels. And the wind would blow the chaff away from the good grain. And the good grain would fall to the ground on the threshing floor. And they would gather it up. And the wind would blow the useless part of the grain away. That's the picture of verse 4. If the tree of verse 3 pictures stability and vitality, the chaff of verse 4 depicts rootlessness and ruin. They're destroyed. Look carefully at the text. Look what happens in this text between verse 3 and verse 4. In verse 3, there are four statements that explain and amplify the description of the godly like a tree. Do you see it? Four statements. They're planted by streams of water, number one. They yield their fruit in their season, number two. Their leaf does not wither, number three. In all that they do, they prosper, number four. But in verse four, there's only one statement that describes the wicked. Do you see it? It's very abrupt. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Rootless, useless, empty, no life and look at what verse 5 says therefore as a result of verse 4 the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous look carefully at your bible friends the psalmist is teaching us that those who stand in the way of sinners today will not be able to stand in the place of judgment in the future when they have to give an account of their life to god The Bible says in verse number 5 that on the final day of judgment, the wicked will not have the ability to stand 
because they will be exposed for who and what they really are. Chaff. Ungodly. Unstable. Useless. The wicked will have no roots. They will have no lasting contribution. And in the end, they will be justly condemned by the God who made them and created them for their sin. Notice what else verse 5 says. You can't miss this. Nor will they be allowed to remain in the congregation of the righteous. The book of Psalms is the worship manual for the people of God. It taught the nation of Israel how to worship their God. It teaches you and me how to worship our God. And in the very first psalm, at the very outset of this book, the psalmist shows us who and who alone can worship God. Only those who have been made right to God through God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that on the last day, God will judge every person in this world. And he will separate the sheep from the goats. He will separate the lost from the found. He will separate true believers from false believers. He will separate true preachers from false preachers. And if you are in the category of the ungodly or the wicked as psalm number one describes you will not be allowed to be in the congregation of the righteous for all eternity only the psalm one man or woman can remain in this congregation and dear friends you will not only miss out on spending eternity in the joy and the fellowship of the God who created you, you will miss out on the fellowship of the saints for all eternity. You will not be in that congregation. And so this psalm teaches us that you can be numbered outwardly among the people of God and yet not be a person of God. That you could be in worship today. You could have sung all of the songs. You could have prayed along with all of the prayers. You could have read all of the verses. You could have listened to the sermon and still not know God because you've never turned from your sin and trusted Christ to be your Savior. And so you're counted among the wicked even though you do good things because none of us are good. No, not one. That's what the Bible says. And if the trajectory of your life is not changed by God's grace on the day of judgment, you will not be able to stand in God's presence and you will be cast from the congregation of the saints. Do you know what this psalm does? Are you listening, church? Do you know what it does? Right here in verses 4 and 5 at the very end of this psalm, it asks you if you're ready for judgment. It asks you if you're ready to face God. Are you? Well, we not only see the direction of the blessed life, the description of the blessed life, and the distinction of the blessed life. Finally, we see the destiny of the blessed life in verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This verse summarizes the two ways of life. 
it teaches us that the Lord watches over the godly. The word knows there, it refers to ongoing action. It literally means that Yahweh continually knows. It means that he doesn't just know the road that we take. It means he guides us in the road that we should take. He knows us in an intimate and personal way. It means that when you're a Psalm 1 man or woman, God is providentially working and moving and orchestrating things in your life he knows you that well. He knew you, as the psalmist will tell us in Psalm 139, before he ever formed you in your mother's womb. And if he knows you like that, he knows you and leads you in every step that you take. That's the blessing of being a Psalm 1 man or woman. But notice the contrast in verse 6. He knows the way of the godly, but the way of the wicked will perish. This word perish is used to describe the loss and destruction of many things. In this context, it's used to describe the destruction of people. And it's describing a destruction that takes place after death. It's not speaking of annihilation. Please hear me, friends. The Bible knows nothing of annihilation. The Bible is crystal clear that every single one of us is going to die. And that every single one of us is in the process of dying this very moment this morning. And that when we die, there's only two destinies, just as there's only two ways to live. There's the destiny of eternity with God in heaven, and there's the destiny of eternity without God under his wrath in a literal place called hell. And in hell, you will be forever alive. If somebody tells you that when you die, it's all over, don't believe them. It's not true. Your life is just beginning. And if you are one of the wicked, you will perish and you will live forever in a state of destruction that is still alive. You will feel everything of God's wrath for all eternity. And here's what I want you to understand this morning as this psalm comes to a close. There is a direct correlation between your devotion to God and your destiny. The psalmist is clear and he ends this rich psalm this first psalm with a solemn ending can you see the bookends of the psalm do you see it friends you still got your bible there do you see it how does the psalm begin what's the first word of the psalm blessed and how does it end what's the last word of the psalm perish that's the bookends your devotion to God determines your destiny. Not because you can work to get a certain place. It's because your devotion reveals where you really are with God. So, all of us must ask the soul-searching question. What path am I on? Am I on the way the godly, the blessed life, or am I on the way of the wicked that perishes? 
If you say this morning that you're walking the path of the godly, this leads to a whole nother series of questions that you must ask and answer. Is there clear evidence that your life has been transformed to authenticate the path that you say you're walking on? Is your life experiencing the blessings and the favor of God? Are you living a life that is separated from the world, that is distinct from the beliefs and the behaviors of the wicked? Do you delight in the Word of God? Do you love it? Do you read it? Do you meditate on it? Is your life bearing fruit as a sign that you belong to God and God is working in your life? How you answer those questions really determines and authenticates the life that you are truly living. There's only two ways to live. The way of the godly and the way of the wicked. The way of blessing and the way of judgment. And I leave you this morning with Moses' last words to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that your offspring may live. Two ways to live. Blessing, cursing. Choose life in Jesus Christ today. Let's pray.